fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. To uh, share with you. Also, we're going to have our NFL Divisional Playoff Picks, so you can pack up and head to Vegas for the weekend. Take it to the bank. No, no promises. No promises. Believe me, we are not prophets nor sons of prophets, but the show team will have their picks. And we're, some of you guys might be planning on going to the movies this weekend. Some of you might be just staying at home, maybe catching a show on Netflix, something like that. How do you watch movies as a Catholic? That is a great question. How, how can your faith play into your media habits. And so we're going to talk about that later in the program. How do you watch movies as a Catholic? I think you're really, really going to enjoy this. But first, we have to talk about leadership. And this is really important. And so many pro-life leaders today at the March for Life in Washington, D.C., Relevant Radio has been all over this event covering it and live reports all day long, the Fast for Life. And you can still get in on this, by the way, hashtag Fast for Life. We're going to tell you more about that later in the show. But I'm just so excited to see what what God is doing here. And God is always moving throughout history, but he depends on people like you and me, and he raises us up to be the leaders that he wants for this generation. You know, one of the things that it, it says about King David In the Old Testament, and this is essentially David's epitaph on his tombstone. When David had fulfilled God's purpose in his generation, then he died. (laughs) That's not not a bad way to go. Uh, If if people can say that about us, then praise God. That's what we're shooting for here. Now, you might say, well, yeah, easy for David. He was the king of Israel. He had a, a great opportunity to make an impact. But you are a leader as well. Yeah, you. And everybody, basically, anybody who has anybody following them is a leader. Now, you might have social media followers. You might have probably more than I do. You might be an influencer of some sort. But uh, a lot of us walk around thinking, nobody's really following me. I'm a follower, not a leader. Well, all of us have to follow someone. We all follow our Lord, of course, and we, we follow our, our leaders in the church, too. But, but all of us are influencing somebody. If you're a parent, you better believe you've got followers. It's your kids. If you're, if you're a spouse, you, you definitely have to lead in, in your family, in your community. If you're a friend, you've got people looking up to you. Maybe you don't even realize it. So what are some leadership lessons we can learn from one of the greatest leaders of all time, King David? And earlier this week, and I'm sure this will pop up in the week that was, we talked about David and Goliath because I just love these scripture readings that we've been experiencing at Mass this week. The first readings uh, coming from the books of Samuel, the career of King David, so much fun stuff. Great ways that we can think about David as a leader that we can apply immediately, immediately right now in our lives today. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. That's the listener line sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance, 888-914-9149. Speaking of life insurance, maybe maybe King Saul was uh, subscribing to the Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance, a little bit of an, of an anachronism, of course. Uh, the Catholic Church hadn't been created yet. Having said that, um, He had some kind of divine life insurance because David could have killed him. Uh, That was today's first reading. There's a Saul is hunting for David. He wants to kill him. He's given in to envy. 
We saw that in yesterday's reading. Uh, they come back from battle, and King Saul gets jealous because the, the crowds are chanting, the ladies are chanting, Saul has slain his thousands, <laughs> the Philistines, David his tens of thousands. Hold up here, hold up here. Why, 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 why does everybody care about David? Come on, what about me? They weren't exactly ignoring King Saul. They were giving him his props. But from that point on, the scripture said he had his eye on David. He wanted to take him out. He wanted to hunt him down. He wanted to kill him. He was blinded by jealousy and envy. And that was really, really ugly. Super ugly for a lot of different reasons. And this is one of the chief sins of the devil himself. Yeah, pride, of course. But don't forget what it says in the book of Wisdom. I believe it's Wisdom 2.24, if memory serves. You can fact check me on that, Patrick A. Log. But I, I will say this. The, the book of Wisdom says that it was out of envy that the devil tempted our first parents, tricked them into the original sin. Why? He just couldn't stand it, that God cared so much about us, about human beings. Why? Are they the apple of his eye, these puny humans? And he was jealous. And so he, he, he wanted to trip them up and, and take all of us down to his level and become objects of wrath like, like he is. And so this is the deal. Envy is a bad, demonic sin. And, and not only does it lead to sadness, great sadness, but um, this is, we, we can't celebrate the gifts that God has given other people. Um, in, in many ways, it blinds us to, to being grateful for what God has given us as well. We all have been given great gifts by God. Anyways, the bottom line is that Saul was completely blinded by envy and hatred for David. He's trying to hunt him down. He's trying to kill him. And, and this, is, uh, uh, this is narrated in today's first reading. Saul goes into a cave to relieve himself, if you will. It's kind of, he's kind of using nature's porta potty as it were. David's in the cave. He doesn't know he's there. David's hiding out. David easily could have killed Saul. He thought about it. He didn't do it. But what he did do was he took his sword, and and he even felt guilty about this later, but he cut off the edge of Saul's cloak. And then when Saul comes out, he kind of reveals himself. He falls prostrate at his feet. And he says, look, here's the edge of your cloak. I I cut it off. I I could have cut off your your, your head, to, to be honest with you. I could have killed you. But I didn't do it. I even feel bad about doing this because you are the anointed of the Lord. And see, you have nothing to fear from me. I'm not trying to kill you. You can trust me. Let's reason together. And, and, and this is an incredible reading, and it shows really the character of King David. So but let's let's look now at some other leadership lessons from King David. 888-914-9149 is the number to call toll-free to talk to me, question, comment on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Don't forget, you can also follow me on the X app at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. You can also email the program. Send a show idea and a question, comment, Kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. So I read a really interesting piece by Jonathan Pakluda about leadership lessons from King David. And and this is um this is intriguing because, again, we, we all have leadership positions in life, whether we realize it or not. Some people out there are literal kings. Uh, KC3, as I like to call him, King Charles III. That's his, that's his rap name, I guess. Um, don't, don't even try. I've already copyrighted that. It's going to be on T-shirts soon. KC3, I sell them on the streets of London. He had to wait a long time to become king. Um, 
And William, of course, is awaiting in the wings as well. Some people become literal kings. Other people, um, maybe we could just settle for you know, the king of queens or the king of our own house. But nonetheless, um, there's some great uh, kingship lessons that we can learn from David, who Scripture says was a man after God's own heart. So as I just referred to, to King Charles having to wait decades to become the king of England, David also had to wait, not quite as long, but he needed a lot of patience. So that's the first thing that we can learn about leadership from King David. To be a leader in God's eyes, in God's sight, to be a leader requires the virtue of patience. Patience. Don't forget, Samuel anointed David to be king when he was only a boy. He was maybe you know, a young teenager at that point. Kind of awkward, going through his awkward phase. And he knew this from, from the time he was just a pup, but he, he was 30 years old. It was a long time before he actually became the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. And then he was 37 years old when he finally, after the death of Saul, uh, became king of all Israel. And, and Saul, of course, and it was a tragic day for King David because not only um, did Saul die that day, it's not something that David took pleasure in, even though he knew that he was going to uh, succeed him as the king. His best friend Jonathan was also killed that day, a tragic day uh, by the Philistines, and they strung up the body of of Saul on a hill. They kind of pinned it to a hill, and I've actually been there in Israel. It's in a place called Bet Sheon. It's a national park. Um, you can still see the hill on which uh, they strung up Saul, and this was a, just a devastating moment uh, for Israel. But David had to wait till he was 37 years old before God's promise would be fulfilled. And to top it all off, during, as we've already talked about just a moment ago, to top it all off, while he was waiting, the guy who currently was the king, Saul, spent a heck of a lot of time trying to make sure that David never became king, trying to kill him. So he's on the run, he's hiding in caves, he's, he's all over the place. And, and what's really amazing is that David was still able to attract a, a lot of followers. Pe- people followed him. Uh, men were willing to lay down their lives for him even before he became king. He was on the run. He had his companions with him. They were all convinced that this is the guy. I, 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 can, I can really trust this guy. He's somebody I want to follow into battle. He's somebody who I want leading my nation. And um, so so he, he even before he officially became king, he, he had sort of an army, if you will, uh, of his own. But he was on the run from, from Saul and, like we talked about, had a clear opportunity, at least on that occasion, also on another time, to kill Saul. Could have got away with it, but he didn't do it. Why? Because he trusted that God was in control, not only of his own story, his own life, if you will, but all of human history. And so he was able to, to trust that promise. And David wrote about this, too, uh, in the scriptures. In Psalm 27, verse 14, He wrote, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. He he exemplified that in his own life. And and David gave us so much of the scriptures too. We have so much to be thankful uh, to David for. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Let's look at another point of leadership, another leadership lesson from King David. To be the leader that God wants, you need the virtue of humility. Humility, that's the next thing. So here's the thing. David showed a lot of humility because as soon as he heard that that he was going to be king, uh, he was anointed in front of his brothers. 
did he lord it over them? Nah. He, he didn't make a big deal out of it. He didn't say, guys, you need to serve me here. Uh, I'm just going to play Nintendo in my room for the rest of my teenage years. You guys just deliver me pizzas, take care of my stuff. I'm going to be the king. If you're nice to me, I might give you a, a position in my cabinet, might give you a cool corner office uh, in Jerusalem in my, my, my government complex. Nah, he didn't do that. He, he just did what he was already doing. <laughs> uh, just uh, sort of changed his perspective about himself and, and his destiny. And we all need to do that, too. We need to understand that we are children of the king. We're going to reign with Christ if we remain faithful to him. And that should change the way that we do everything. You probably heard it said, the way you do anything is the way that you do everything. We need to do it with extreme grace and goodness and to the best of our ability for the glory of God. And so that's exactly what David did. He just went right back to his old job, his old task, his old duties, his old responsibilities of taking care of the sheep. And then, and then when he does get to go to the palace, and, and don't forget, he kind of served with Saul or under Saul for a while. That's exactly what he did. He served the king. And, and, and David would play his harp. The king was tormented by, King Saul was tormented by many things, including demons. And David would play his harp and the demons would flee. But it would have been very easy for David to say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm not a, a human Spotify app here. I mean, you, you can't just use me as your jukebox here, Saul. I've got, I've got in, an incredible destiny here. I'm not, I'm not just here to entertain you. But, but he never did that. He, he sort of did the menial tasks, and he was humble. He was humble. And one of the things that David said in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18, was this. He said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family? that you have brought me this far. And I think if we're, if we're looking back on our lives, we can be so grateful. And, and this attitude of gratitude is something we need to, to adopt. We need to be, thanksgiving is so important. As, as one person said, as one spiritual writer said, I, I think it was Chesterton, but I could be wrong. He said, everybody talks about pride as being the worst sin. It's bad. It's, it's really bad. But not being thankful is maybe even worse in some ways, because if you're not thankful to God for what he's given you, you're always going to be again in this position of envy, envy of others, just like the devil. And that, that is not going to take you to the place you want to go. So it's this mixture of humility. It's also a mixture of, of, of confidence in, in who you are as a child of God, as a child of the King, uh, called to a great destiny. And, and David really exemplified that as well. You're listening to the Kale Clark show on relevant radio, triple eight, nine, one, four, Nine one four nine. Well, here, here's the third thing that you need, third leadership lesson from King David. You also need to be the leader God wants in your life with the people that you know in your sphere of influence. You have to have the virtue of courage. Courage. And we saw that. We talked about that on Wednesday's episode of the Kale Clark Show. You can check the archives. David battling Goliath. I mean, Goliath was, he was a monster. He was nine feet tall. I mean, he could dunk without even having to jump. I mean, he, he totally would have played in the NBA if he was, uh, he would have been a European import to the NBA if he was, um, if he was alive today. Having said that, David wasn't afraid of him. Saul was, though. Saul was terrified. Saul, now, Saul was a pretty tall guy, too. Uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2, it says that Saul was a full head taller than any other Israelite. And you guys probably know this. They've done studies on leadership. They say that tall people... People naturally gravitate towards them as leaders. Why? Just because they're tall. I mean, they may not be great leaders, but it, it is an attribute. I guess if you are a good leader and you're tall, you've kind of really hit the jackpot. But guys like Abraham Lincoln, just tall guys, 
people think they're good leaders. Um, but there's also Napoleons out there too, right? And I, I guess Napoleon wasn't that short. But anyways, I, I'm going on a huge rabbit trail here. Nonetheless, Saul was tall. Saul was tall. And they said, better call Saul. Let's let's see if he'll fight Goliath. He's like, I'm not going anywhere near that guy. He was terrified. But then David said, hey, listen, I'm going to take care of this. Don't worry. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 11, they were terrified of what Goliath was saying. And David said, I'll take care of this. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. That's 1 Samuel 17, verse 32. And you know what happened next. God had his back. God, God had, was his rear guard. God was the dread warrior walking behind him. And he, and he walks behind you as well. There's nothing to fear, not even death itself. And David was not afraid to die. And he knew very well he could, he could die. But he also knew that that wasn't going to happen. Because number one, God had promised that he would be king. And he trusted him. And number two, he knew he could take the Philistine with God's help. And, he's, and he certainly did. And we got to slay our giants today, too, don't we? Remember that um, Disney movie, Facing the Giants? I mean, we all kind of have that David and Goliath motif in our own lives as well. And we don't have to be afraid either, whether it's an internal battle against some sin or an external battle against a foe. Our hope has to be in the one who made heaven and earth. And that's what David did. David wrote about this, too. In Psalm 27, verse 1, he wrote these words. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The answer is no one. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 27, verse 1. Those are beautiful words, again, by King David. We thank him for for writing those under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Well, a couple more things. The fourth thing that you need to know about leadership from King David is faith. It's faith. He knew God was in control. He knew that Saul couldn't kill him. Goliath couldn't kill him. They could try. But he knew that God had a destiny for him. And, and, and this is one of the things he said when he had to fight Goliath. He knew that God, based on the, the evidence of God's faithfulness in the past, he knew that God was going to take care of him in the present and in the future as well. This is, this is what Saul said to him. He said, you're not, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're, you're only a youth. He's been a man of war from his own youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. When there came a lion or a bear, they tried to attack me. God always gave me the victory. It's going to happen again. And it did. It totally did because he knew the one he was trusting in. And in Psalm 31, verses 14 and 15, David said, but I trust in you, Lord. I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies from those who pursue me. Okay, last thing. What's the last leadership lesson that we can learn from King David? Number five, to be the leader that God wants, you've got to tap into God's grace. And don't forget, one of of the best things that's ever been said about anybody at any time was David was called the man after God's own heart. And you say, how is that totally true? Because if you know all of David's life, he did some pretty bad things. Yeah, he had a lot of great victories in life, A lot of times when he trusted God, and there were other times when he just flat out rejected the Lord and gave in to his sins, gave in to his temptations. And he's probably as well known for his foibles and his sins as he is for for any of the, the great victories that he had. Don't forget, David slept with the wife of one of his most loyal friends and generals. 
He tried to cover up the pregnancy that resulted when the husband, you know, was in danger of finding out he had that guy killed. Adultery and murder. He abused his power at various times. Sometimes he wasn't a great, the world's greatest dad. He never got that coffee cup on Father's Day, world's number one dad. Sometimes he would tell lies. He would manipulate people. He gave in to his ego. You say, well, why would God even let him live after all this? And as one writer said, this says far more about God and his character than it does about David. That's amazing. That's amazing. God never gave up on him. And sometimes the same things can happen to us. We we can give in to the dark side and we've committed sins. We have to go to confession. We need to go to confession. But the great thing about David was when he realized his wrong, when he really realized it, like when the prophet Nathan pointed this out to him, he repented. Read Psalm 51. This is the, 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 the psalm prayer that he wrote when he was caught, when he was found out. And to his credit, he could have had Nathan's head cut off as the king. Don't, I don't want to hear this stuff. But he, 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 was able, he was humble enough again to hear the truth, and, and he repented. And maybe maybe you left the confessional. Maybe the priest has said, "Hey, go read Psalm fifty-one. It's a great psalm to read of repentance and God and hope in God and trust in His forgiveness." So he he did make some some pretty big mistakes, just like Saint Peter made some pretty big mistakes. But he came back to Christ just as Peter did. And this is what he wrote in Second Samuel chapter twenty-four, verse ten. He said, "I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, Lord, I beg you." Take away the guilt of your servant. I've done a very foolish thing. That's, that's something we should probably say every single night. We do our examination of conscience. But have confidence in God, as David did. My thanks to uh, this piece by Jonathan Pakluda, Five Leadership Lessons from King David. So again, the five things we need to be a great leader in the mold of David. Patience, humility, courage. We also need faith, absolutely. And we need grace, God's grace. Well, What do you think makes a great leader? Anything we missed here? Give us a call, 888-914-9149. We'll be back with so much more on The Kale Clark Show, The Week That Was, and up next, how to watch a movie as a Catholic. You're not going to want to miss this. 888-914-9149. Be right back. And fun. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Well, that's a good tune. We're going to take you into the danger zone right now. One of my favorite movies of all time, Top Gun. My favorite actor is Tom Cruise. I don't care what you say about him. I know he's a Scientologist and stuff, but I pray that one day he'll come back into the Catholic Church. We've got to make Tom Catholic again. I've been saying that for years. He does have a Catholic background. So, anyways, get him out of the clutches of Scientology. That might be easier said than done, but Prayer is powerful. Anyways, uh, kind of getting off track here, but a lot of you guys might be heading to the movies this weekend, or you might be downloading something to watch. Hopefully it's it's not an illegal download and go to confession, but uh, you might be on a streaming service of some sort. And sometimes we have these questions. What, what kind of media is appropriate for Catholics to be watching? We have kind of moral dilemmas that pop up all the time. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 914 
9149. Find me on the X app at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And actually on the X app, I posted a little link to an article um, a few days ago. Uh, if you comb through my, my post there, I'm sure you'll find it. Remember that that famous article by Mortimer Adler, the famous book by Mortimer Adler, How to Read a Book? Well, we also need to know how to watch a movie, how to watch a movie as a Catholic. And a show idea that was sent to me, and by the way, you can send me a show idea as well, a uh, link, something you want me to comment on, uh, something you think I might have a, t- a hot take on, or just a question you want answered. Uh, you can email me. The address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. Well, our own Patrick Alog actually uh, sent me this article. It was, it was, I'm glad he did. How to Watch Movies Like a Catholic. And this is actually written by a moral theologian. Uh, so th- this has some weight here. Uh, it's great when moral theologians weigh in on these questions. And by the way, I, I, uh, I do not envy moral theologians because they have, they have one of the toughest jobs in the entire church because they have to keep up with so many new and emerging technologies and questions and, and whether or not, just because we can do something, whether it doesn't mean that we ought to. So it, it, it's an exciting field to be sure. And E. Christian Brueger, E. Christian Brueger uh, wrote this uh, piece for the National Catholic Register. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. And he is a moral theologian living in Front Royal, Virginia. And that is the uh, hometown, of course, of Christendom College. Great partner of ours uh, here at Relevant Radio and one of the greatest uh, Catholic colleges in the United States. So anyways, all that said, um, here's the question that was pro- posed to uh, E. Christian Brueger. I like that name, too, E. Christian Brueger. I thought about uh, having a pen name, E. Pluribus Unum. <laughs> no. uh, anyways, uh, the question is, I'm a Catholic, and my question is, is it a sin to watch movies such as The Goonies from 1985? Okay, if you're going to watch a movie, I'm not sure that The Goonies is the one that you want to go for, but some of you guys are big Goonie fans. I'm a Gen X guy. I think the 80s are the greatest decade of all time. Uh, so some of you guys might might um, might flood the phone lines right now defending the Goonies, 888-914-9149. But the, the writer goes on to say, I struggle with some films, especially from the 80s. For example, Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, the Indiana Jones films, and the like. Hey, if you're struggling with films from the 80s, uh, I guess some bad news for you. There's something called the 2020s that you should probably uh, stay away from. But but at any rate, uh, this guy goes on to say, Can it be a sin to watch these movies? These are the movies I grew up with, but since I turned to the Catholic faith, I'm concerned I'm making a mistake if I watch them. I do fear God. Maybe you can help with my dilemma. Thanks. God bless you. And this guy's really struggling. Obviously, it's a question of conscience for him, and it's a, it's, 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 it's a really important question. So uh, the moral theologian who responded to this question, E. Christian Brueger, uh, said, Hey, he basically said, that's a good word to use. It's a dilemma. It's a dilemma. And, and media consumption, what to do with it, is a real dilemma because movies can, can really be a great form of, of leisure for us, can help us to relax, um, we can have a great time. It's all great. But there's a price to be paid for it. And, you know, I'm not talking about the price you have to pay at the theater for a tub of popcorn. Oh, that's outrageous. But the price that we frequently pay according to E. Christian Brueger, is exposing ourselves to harmful content. So what should we do? What should we do? Especially when some of the movies and some of the scenes in those movies that we're watching conflict with the gospel. 
So, um, uh, Mr. Brueger basically said, look, I'm going to respond here. And to some people, this response is going to be a very unsatisfying response. He's not going to say yes or no. I'm just going to give you a bit of a sneak preview here. Um, there's more that can be said if you're, if you're asking the question about kids in media. That's not really the point of what, what we're going to talk about. He's more concerned with adults watching movies, adults uh, consuming media. But some, some general principles, and I think he's, he's good to bring these up. In Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 22 and 23, Jesus says, The eye is the lamp of the body. And he warns us, he warns us about letting our lamps become unsound. Um, why, why do people, why does he say this? By the way, in the ancient world, people used to think, the ancients used to think that light literally came out of your eyes. Like your light was like, a, like you could shine a spotlight on stuff. And maybe this is because people would see animals. You ever have that weird experience where you see like a, an animal, like a raccoon or something at night and, and or, or a dog, and then the light seem, their, their eyes seem to be shining at you. Um, it's like, oh, that's that's kind of scary. Um, th- that that's that's kind of the idea. Maybe they sort of that's part of the reason why they thought this. But they thought that light emanated from the eyes. So that's why they say that the eye is the lamp of the body. Now, of course, God knows that that's not the case. But but Jesus is speaking in a, in a metaphor that people would understand in his time. So he says, you got to be careful that the light within you does not become darkness. So, so there's our eyes. And then St. Paul talks about our minds and what we should be thinking about. He says that whatever you think about, think about what is true, honorable, just, pure, worthy of praise. Think about those things in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. So that, that's important, too, because Scripture says that uh, one sort of modern paraphrase of Scripture a certain scriptural verse is that your thoughts run your life. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. In other words, your thoughts run your life. So what you think about yourself and what you think about the world, you really need to pay attention to that. Do you, do you think of yourself as a child of God? Do you think of yourself as, as a saint in the making? At any rate, um, that's going to affect your choices. So what you, what you let in through your eye gate, uh, what you think about, what the thoughts that you let into your mind, and some of those things are involuntary. You just got to let the bad ones go by like clouds passing by in the sky. Just, just, you know, let the wind blow and get them out of there. Having said that, I think there's there's something else that we should probably talk about here that's not in the article. It's also the ears, too. Now, this is more about movies, what we're seeing, but music as well. Studies have shown that that a lot of messaging can get in through music. Think about how how easy it is for kids to remember song lyrics, kids of all ages. Man, they, can, they can't memorize their, their homework, you know, the speeches of Shakespeare's you know, characters, but they can memorize a song lyric like nobody's business. And uh, we're all like that too. And, and Peter Kraft, friend of the program, says that when people are listening to music, their guard is down. And also when they're laughing, so humor, you know, comedy movies and stuff, your guard is down, you're more likely to take in ideas and thoughts that maybe shouldn't get in there. So th- th- those are really, really important things. What we see, I think also what we hear, the things that we think about are important. And uh, E. Christian Brueger says that all of this sort of influences the things that we desire, what we see, what we think about, and what we desire, we tend to want to do. And the media knows this. The media knows this. So that's why we have to be very vigilant when consuming media. 
So in answering this guy's question, he said, well, you're asking whether it's a sin to watch The Goonies or Lethal Weapon or Indiana Jones. You're probably thinking about scenes that might include violence, profanity, immodesty, other stuff. And yeah, yeah, today's movies are even worse. But even 80s movies could be, could be, could be sinful for us. And by the way, we just got a comment from a caller. Didn't want to come on the air. And this caller said, I don't watch anything that I wouldn't be able to bring the Holy Family in to watch. That's that's a that's a good attitude. It's kind of like, you know, when you're dating. I don't know if you ever heard this as a teenager. Imagine Jesus is there, you know, in the back seat. You know, like, so, hey, don't do anything sinful, please. So, yeah, that, I mean, that's 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 a good that's a good sort of idea. Could you bring the Holy Family to this movie? Would you be comfortable if Jesus, Mary and Joseph are watching this film with you? Good question. You know, certainly your guardian angel is there. They're aware of things, you know, the Lord can see. Absolutely. But uh, but here, here's the thing, and this is kind of the the area where personal responsibility comes in. When does this become sinful? Um, as E. Christian Brueger says, the answer is not the same for every person, but the moral principle is the same. Avoid anything that knowingly makes me sin or constitutes a near occasion of sin for me. So uh, some of this stuff is going to be blatantly obvious if there's a movie that's um, got some morally objectionable content, sexually explicit. Clearly, you're going to want to avoid that. It could it could encourage you to fall into the sin of lust. Um, don't watch that stuff. Um, what about other stuff where it's not so... Maybe the impact isn't so direct. Um, he borrows a phrase here from Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I guess they do this at AA meetings. They have something called a fearless moral inventory. Don't, fe- don't be afraid to take a fearless moral inventory of your life. And I guess it's, it sounds an awful lot like an examination of conscience, but you could take a fearless moral inventory of your movie-watching habits and ask yourself, is this particular movie, is this particular watching a good thing for you? Will it lead you closer to God? And um, that, that's a good question. He also gives a whole bunch of other questions. So I'm going to just list them for you. I'm going to just read them out, and we'll put a link to this article in the show notes too. So you don't need to write them down or anything. You just kind of think about them. But these are good questions that you can ask yourself about these movies. And this would obviously apply to TV shows as well, things like that. So here are the questions. And these are from moral theologian E. Christian Brueger. Question number one, do these movie scenes tempt me to sin? Do they play on my moral weaknesses? Do they cause me to desire things that I've already freely given up? Do they make it harder for me to be faithful to commitments that I've freely accepted? That's, 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 imagine if you're like, um, I don't know, a religious, you're a professed religious brother or sister, and you watch a movie about somebody literally giving up the habit. Yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of thing. Yeah, don't, don't, I've already made this commitment freely. Don't tempt me to give it up. Do they make me ungrateful for things in my life that are part of God's will? That's, that's an interesting one because movies, films, they often portray these sort of perfect situations and, uh, or situations that are better than the ones we find ourselves in. But it may be that the Lord has permitted certain things in our life um, and it can cause us to be ungrateful. It can cause us to be resentful. It can cause us to 
Why, why isn't my life more like that? And that's where the, the whole thing of envy comes in, like we were talking about earlier with Saul. Saul. Saul's envy of David, not a good thing at all. Do they weaken or undermine my faith or trust in God or the Catholic Church? There's no shortage of movies out there. They'll do both of those things, undermine your faith in God and in the church. Do they make me less sensitized to the perils of mortal sin? That's not that big of a deal. Everybody's doing it. Do they undermine my confidence in important truths about sexuality, gender, truth-telling, justice, human compassion, and so on? If I already struggle with sexual temptation, do they make the temptation worse? If I see people on screen portrayed as having illicit affairs, does it make affairs look attractive to me? Since, quote-unquote, everyone's doing it on TV, does fornication begin to look trivial? Question for the ladies. If I see, if you see men on TV who are handsome and sensitive, does it make you feel ungrateful for your husband? Uh, for the guys, if you see, quote-unquote, perfect women on screen, do you feel ungrateful for your wife? If you struggle with anger, does exposure to violence tempt you to get angrier? Become Schwarzenegger. <laughs> If you struggle with greed, with excessive desire for material wealth, does watching this or that movie press on my moral weakness? You don't want to be Gordon Gecko in Wall Street, right? If you struggle with alcohol or drug abuse, does watching movies with happy abusers tempt me to partake? If you struggle with body issues, does, you know, if you're a lady, if, if you see thin, um, attractive women, does that tempt you to starve or otherwise despise yourself? If you watch movies with 46 F-bombs, by the way, and that's standard for a Netflix uh, original production, there's at least 46 F-words in every movie, does it make you more inclined to use profanity? If you see dramas such as 13 Reasons Why, which, which, which glorifies suicide. Does it make you think suicide is something mysterious, interesting, alluring even? So these, these are some questions that are posed, kind of a little examination of conscience when it comes to media consumption by E. Christian Brueger, moral theologian. So you need to really know yourself, and you need to know what you struggle with. What are your recurring sins? What are your usual temptations? Are, are those sorts of things something that are made worse by your media habits or is what you're watching, does it help you to fight against these things? So everybody's affected by their, by their consumption of media. That, that is for sure. And he gives a, he gives a couple of examples of uh, helpful websites, common sense media. Apparently there's a screening technology called vid angel that removes objectionable scenes from otherwise unobjectionable movies. Um, I've got a funny anecdote about that, but I don't have time for that. Um, Sometimes we have to tear ourselves away from things. We have to be detached from things. You know what? You've realized this is not good for me to be watching this. And I loved it. I loved it. Loved it. But there's a couple, been a couple series like that for me where I've watched it up until a certain season. It's like, I can't take it anymore. It's gone way, way too far. You got to know yourself and, and know what you're, what you're watching and be, be really honest about this. So um, at any rate, um, spiritual direction can help with this as well. Hey, for good, clean media, check out The Merry Beggars, especially for kids uh, from Relevant Radio. Uh, it's, it's the media division of Relevant Radio, and 
kids are really, really enjoying the Saints podcast, and uh, your family might as well. So check it out, thesaintspodcast.com. And we will be right back on The Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. Be right back. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program. It is Friday. Hey, we've had an outstanding week, a stellar week on the program. My thanks to Brooke Taylor. The great Brooke Taylor sat in for me yesterday. It was my wife's birthday, so I decided to uh, spend some time with her instead of working on the show. And uh, it was great. It was great, but I'm happy to be back. And thanks to Brooke for a fine program yesterday. Wow, some really powerful pro-life stories. Of course, the March for Life being today. In Washington, you could say it's not too late to take part, by the way, in the Fast for Life. Go to relevantradio.com slash fast and use on social media hashtag fast for life. If you go on the relevant radio Twitter account, I was going to say the relevant Ritter account. Uh, it's the X account now, of course. Uh, there's some really inspiring accounts of, of people from around the world who have taken up the challenge. So even though the march is today, you can still take part in the pro-life movement and your prayers and sacrifices really do help. They really do help to save lives. Well, we want to show you what you might have missed on the show, just in case you missed it. It's the week that was on The Kale Clark Show. Pope Francis did a TV interview, and here's what he he actually said. He, He was asked if he really believes that God forgives everybody who asks him for forgiveness. He says, I like to think hell is empty. I hope it is. And certainly nobody could fault him for hoping that anybody with a with a heart would, would hope that somehow somewhere everyone repents at the last moment and nobody's there let's go to ann in orange county hello ann hello i'm calling find out if you are a protestant and you are disallowed to go to confession then what hope is there for you if you have committed mortal sin and as protestants think you could just ask god for forgiveness is that not true god is not bound by his own sacraments God can forgive people outside of the sacrament of confession, even for mortal sin. You haven't been baptized yet. It's not your fault. It's not time yet. He can, he can, he can deal with that. And, and that's why the church says there's, there's three kinds of baptism. There's baptism of water and the spirit, and then there's baptism of blood, martyrdom, and there's also baptism of desire. So I would say that that would be one thing that, that God can act outside of the sacrament. You have to pretty much throw the baby out with the bathwater if you're going to excise the miraculous from the scriptures. And by the way, people have tried to do that. I've talked to you guys before about President Thomas Jefferson, the famous Jefferson's Bible, where he, you know, in the days before digital and the days before cut and paste, he had to do some old-fashioned cutting and pasting. He took an X-Acto knife and some crazy glue, and he literally cut out every verse in the New Testament that smacked of the miraculous. Let me tell you, he had to do a lot of cutting, folks, because you can't get near the historical Jesus of the Gospels without the miracles. David says, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You know, all the soldiers were terrified of Goliath. It's like, who is this guy? He is nothing compared to Almighty God. And that's why David said, look, the the same Lord that delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear as a shepherd boy, I wasn't afraid of those creatures. I'm certainly not afraid of this guy. God, the same God will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. 
Yeah, that's just a little snippet called The Week That Was of some of the episodes that you might have missed. We talked about Elon Musk and the miraculous. As you, as you heard, that, that first little clip, uh, the Pope's comments earlier this week about hell kind of went viral. And by the way, I, for the record, I, I don't think hell is empty. I wish that it was, but I certainly don't think that it is. And uh, this is part of the drama of life. We need to avoid that. And our Lord certainly wants us to and gives us the grace and the helps that we need to do just that. My thanks to Miranda Sinaceros as well as producer Jim Shaper for pulling together the week that was. All the full episodes are available on the relevant radio app or wherever you get your podcast. Please share them with a friend. Uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating and review. It helps people to find the shows. Well, guess what? Um, last order of business here before we get to some of your phone calls. Hopefully, we have to make some playoff picks because it is the NFL divisional round. So, going to ask Jim to queue up some exciting sports music. We used to use the ESPN NFL primetime music, but um, we don't want to get sued, so we can't do that. I'm sure ESPN executives don't listen to this program, but nonetheless, got to stay on the safe side of the law. And um, I'll tell you what, uh, we had a bit of a mixed bag last week. Patrick Alog, what were our show team records last week? Our records... Uh... You were three and three, and uh, Jim and I were both five and one. Okay, well, you guys have bragging rights, that's for sure. But we're gonna, you know, I'm gonna climb back in the race. I think this week we'll, we'll see. But uh, so not as many games left. Of course, there are only one, two, three, four games this weekend. Two on Saturday, two on Sunday. By the way, we're also gonna throw in the picks of, of our good friend Rich Gannon, who's a, kind of our NFL analyst here on the Kale Clark Show. He appeared on the show uh, at the beginning of the playoffs. So I'm going to tell you, Rich Gannon, uh, the Saturday game, the first game is at 4.30 p.m. on ESPN. It's the Houston Texans, the upstart Texans with C.J. Stroud, the greatest rookie QB ever, going into Baltimore, the belly of the beast, to play the Ravens. Rich Gannon has Baltimore in this one, and I, too, have the Ravens. The Ravens are going to say nevermore to the Texans. I hate to say that, but uh, I think Baltimore's got this one. What do you guys think? Uh, I think uh, the the Ravens also have it as well. Houston has a great year, but the run ends uh, tomorrow uh, tomorrow afternoon against Baltimore. Okay, Patrick Aylock going with Baltimore. Producer Jim. Yeah, if I had to go with my heart, I really would like Houston to win. It's been such a great story yeah. with C.J. Stroud, but I got to go with Baltimore. Got to go with your head over your heart. And, uh, yeah, shout out to H-Town. Wow, what future's looking bright there. But you never know. You never know. We'll see what happens. That's why they play the games, folks. All right, 8.15 p.m. on Fox on Saturday night. The Packers upset the Dallas Cowboys, demolished, uh, quote-unquote, America's team uh, last weekend. And they are going into San Francisco to play the Niners, the top-ranked team in the conference. I, I got to say, I am going to go with San Fran here. They're my Super Bowl pick, by the way, to get into the Super Bowl from the NFC. Uh, Rich Gannon, as well, has picked the Niners. What say you, producer Jim? I'm going to go with the Green Bay Packers. Whoa, Nobody seemed wow. to tell them that they're not supposed to be here, <laughs> and they showed up and really handled the, the Cowboys last week. I think they're going to go. I think they're going to go to the Super Bowl. Oh, to the Super Bowl? Yeah, wow. let's do okay. it. Wow, Jim. <laughs> Is rolling the dice. He is all in. All the chips are in the middle of the table. Going with the Packers. Oh, Jordan Love. Wow. What? How outstanding has he been in the second half of the year? Just wow. I mean, it's GM Brian Gutenkunst from uh, Gutekunst, I believe. Sorry, I mispronounced that. Of the Green Bay Packers. Well, wow. after all the heat he took for getting rid of Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and he can kind of 
kind of brushed the dirt off his shoulders, the, 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 the dandruff, if you will, and uh, he's looking pretty good right now. I'm sure he's got some good job security. So Jim's going with the Packers. Patrick Alog. This is going to be a close This is gonna be a close game, but I think the 49ers are going to pull off a close one, and they're also my Super Bowl pick as well. Okay. For the 49ers. So. For the NFC. All right. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. All right. Well, let's go to the Sunday games. 3 o'clock on NBC, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who... How, how bad did the Philadelphia Eagles look in that matchup last week against Tampa Bay? Baker Mayfield, former number one overall pick, he's kind of resurrected his career in Tampa Bay. Succeeding Tom Brady, not an easy thing to do. Going into Detroit, Detroit won their first playoff game since the 1990s over the Rams. That was a great game. Um, how do you guys see this one playing out? Um, I'm going to go with the Detroit Lions. Um, I know Tampa's had a, a surprising season, but I think the Cinderella, not maybe Cinderella run, but then historic run for the Lions continues, and they're going to be an NFC Championship game next week. Okay. All right. I got, I got the Lions, too. What about you, Jim? I got the Lions. It's going to be a rematch between uh, the Packers and the Lions in the NFC Championship. Ooh. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. Rich Gannon disagrees with all of us. He's got the Buccaneers, and uh, he's the former NFL MVP, so he might... Know a little something about this more than we do, so uh, we'll we'll see what how, how it goes. Um, the six thirty game, obviously, this is the unmissable game for for me. For the first time ever in his uh, young career, but stellar career, Patrick Mahomes is going on the road in a playoff game to play my Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. Listen, the Bills are banged up, especially on defense, but they've been sort of, you know, Sean McDermott has been working magic somehow, pulling keeping it together. I got to go with the Bills, but this is a, this is a pick'em game. This is going to be so tight. What, how do you guys see this going? I'm going to go with Kansas City. It's going to be Ooh, a tough one. Jim. It's going to be close. Sorry, man. I love the Bills. I, I love Josh Allen, but uh, Kansas City is a tough team, and they're a great playoff team. We'll see how it uh, all pans out. Your son Sebastian is a huge Chiefs fan, so I knew <laughs> you'd do that. All right, Patrick Alog, what hey, do you think? Hey, Kale, we're both picking all home teams. I noticed, and because I'm picking Buffalo as well, and home team, all home teams have never have won the divisional round only four times in the last 20 years. Last time since wow. 2019. So we're doing something that doesn't usually happen. I thought about picking a road team just for the sake of it but no i think all road teams all home teams are going to win this weekend so i'm going with the bills rich cannon agrees with you he's also picked the bills no one circles the wagons like the buffalo bills and and listen no nobody pulls a show team together like the kale clark show team my thanks to producer jim shaper and Miranda sinaceros helped out with the week that was this week working the phones tonight patrick alog is just doing alog things And, uh, hey, thanks to you guys for listening. Catch all the podcasts if you missed them. Have a great weekend, everybody. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.